Phenomenal is the whole reason why I started the Phenomena podcast. I'm surrounded by amazing women who do amazing things and I feel so lucky to make life with them. But I wanted to share my luck with you. In this segment of the podcast, I have deep conversations with them about the events, the habits and the journeys that most impacted their lives and brought them to where they are. In this episode of Phenomenal, I speak to Ufi. Ufi is a friend of mine we've met about two years ago, and we're part of a little group um, of uh, business women. We call ourselves boss babes, but I think it's not that original because actually there's lots of boss babes out there, but we're all one sorority. Ufi is the founder of Violet Simons, and don't forget to look her up on social media. And... Ufi and I can talk for hours. She's got such a great story and I thought it was important for me to interview her on the Phenomenal segment of the podcast because I think there's so much that we can all learn from her personal story as well as her business story. Ufi um, has started trading in Nigeria with a fashion company and is now launching a magazine, Violet Simon Magazine. Hopefully you'll enjoy that conversation. Start by telling us... (laughs) How old you are, if you want to, if you don't want to, you don't have to, where you're from, where you live, what you do, and then we can take it from there. Okay. Okay, uh, okay my name is Ufi. Um, a lot of um, people call me Ufi, but, uh, but I also go by the name Sophia, which is what, um, it's kind of my, like, legally. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm into fashion and media and it's i'm very passionate about it i'm a feminist as well i (laughs) which is very um core to me and um it took me a very long time to actually like okay i have i run a company called violet simon and it's all about women empowerment and it wasn't always like that it was more about wanting to you know just make money using my passion to make money because I did love fashion. I did love talking to people. I, I always wanted to get to the core of stuff. I think deep. And I realized that all of those experiences I had was connecting me to my purpose. Um, growing up, I grew up in a very, um, in a Christian, um, I don't even know what you used to call it. Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home that was very, um, it was a different even people who are Christians find the way I was brought up very weird. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a home that um, my parents were very, I don't know what the word is, they were very um, rigid and and tried to bring us up in the way that they thought was okay based on their own experiences. But a lot of it was just instilling a lot of fear and instilling a lot of um a lot yeah a lot of fear basically a lot of rules a lot of do's and don'ts which over the years ended up creating anxiety for me as a person and i also realized that growing up as well seeing the things that happened around me i'd always been someone who was very vocal anytime i, I saw something i would always want to like say okay does this really make sense um, 
you know, and I would always ask questions and I would always be shut up, shut up because it's like, no, you can't ask these questions. You can't say this. You can't say that. And, um, I grew up being vocal outside, but very timid inside, you know, so outside I would be outspoken inside. I was just a little shaky jellyfish and, (laughs) (laughs) and I always got to doubt myself a lot of times. Um, Okay, for example, I mean, at the age of... And the funny thing, I think the twisted thing about the things I'd been through and how they kind of affected and connected to my higher purpose, because at some, some weeks ago, I was actually thinking and saying, I'm grateful for the experiences I had, because though they were painful, and though sometimes I still have to go through the pain and go through the healing process, which is quite uncomfortable, um, it's helped. it has helped me to connect more with what I, what it is my vision is and help and which is, you know, women. And I mean, I was molested when I was, I think six or seven years old. I can't even really remember. I think it's seven, six or seven. Mm. And the funny thing is I didn't actually realize I was molested till I became an adult. Mm. I thought it was normal. <laughs> so, and, um, there was, I mean, those experiences, there was just that trend, that pattern, you know, mm-hmm. of, seeing crazy stuff, dysfunctional stuff, toxic stuff as normal. And I would beat myself up for even thinking that I need to stand up for myself. You know, mm-hmm. I, I could be very, I'm not, I'm not one. I mean, my husband sometimes would tease me because he's like, you're very direct. I don't know how not to, I don't know how to like people say diplomatic. I don't know how to be diplomatic sometimes. Like mm. if I see something that's crazy, I would just outrightly say, this is crazy. I'm, I'm out, you know? And, but it, I wasn't, I used to be like that. And then I wasn't like that because I was always, I, I always felt like every time I had to say something or express myself, I had to be shut out. I had to think too much about, the effect of the negativity from other people. So I was always accepting people's negativity, accepting people's toxicity and accepting people's horrible opinions about me. And until that became my identity. So even when I got molested, I think I began to see it as it was my fault or I wasn't being a good Christian girl, you know? Mm. And when I got raped, um, Earlier on, when I was a teenager and in my young adolescence, young adulthood rather, I, I, and I mean, when I told my parents about it, nobody actually ever told me, oh, how are you doing? You know, are you okay? You know, or to even find out the impact of Mm. what that experience happened, of of what, what that, what that experience did to me. I was reading like, uh, hmm, yesterday or this morning, I'm not too sure. I was reading a, a caption or, or a, a, yeah, a caption from People's Magazine or something like that about Gabrielle Union and when she got raped. Mm-hmm. And she said something and she said that when she got raped, it made her know who her people really were. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what happened for me because I think in that moment, I began to realize that for me, family really isn't about where I'm born into or blood ties or whatever that is. You know, for me, family is... Family is deeper than that. I've had people who are not my siblings, but who are more who are more of family to me than even the family that I was born into, you know. And um, I think for a while, you know, I mean, there are things like oh, sometimes you you, you feel the 
the silent conversations of, okay, maybe if I was being Christian enough, then um, I wouldn't have gotten raped. If I was not wearing trousers or if I wasn't painting my nails because according to them, it was demonic and it was a witchcraft stuff, you know, and all of that stuff. It was, if I wasn't doing all of that, then I wouldn't have been able to attract men to rape me, you know. So in other words, it's, it's, I had to always, you know, confirm, I had to always, um, you know, dress to not be seductive, try to, you know, make myself unappealing, you know, or try to not be too loud, try not to be too opinionated about stuff. Um, and there was just all those burdens of how I had to live up to the expectations of my parents and their vision for me and the vision of other people that had come to know us as, okay, these are these people's parents, children. And breaking out of that circle and breaking out of that negative loop was like, I think it was the fiercest battle I've ever fought. I mean, I'm still trying to, sometimes I still recover from all the pain and all the trauma that all of that put me through. Sometimes I wake up agitated for no reason. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I wake up having panic attacks or relieving some of the horrible experiences I had in my past, in my dreams. And, you know, I'm just seeing all the experiences that sometimes I, I remember when I began to actually really deal with the fact that I had gotten raped, not once and not twice. And I had been sexually assaulted from the age of seven. And I began to actually realize that this experiences that I had that I thought, okay, it was okay. They were actually raped. <laughs> I was raped and I had to come to start to terms to start really embracing that to in order to heal right. and it wasn't easy because i started lashing out a lot i was always afraid and paranoid mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes i would begin to start like relieving the memories like i'm sitting down and i can just zone out and where i've gone to is to the place where those incidences happened and there's also a lot of anger towards my parents as well. And I remember when my, my, I, had to I had to separate myself from my family. I had to create boundaries, which my family never had. For them, boundaries was nothing. I mean, boundaries wasn't something that you do. It, wasn't, it just wasn't it. You cannot create boundaries. So they would assert themselves in your life. They would... You know, they, they saw negativity and toxicity as part of one of those things that happens with family. And it, it just wasn't okay for me. I couldn't accept that anymore. It wasn't good for my mental health. It wasn't good for my physical health. It wasn't good for my spiritual health. It wasn't good for anything. Mm -mm. And so I had to separate myself from that. And I think that was, it was a very, um, it was a very um, bold move for me. And I struggled with it because I always... Um, thought that I was doing something wrong, which, and it, this was because every time I actually had to make a move for me, I mm -hmm. would always be told that I was not being good enough. I was selfish and stuff. So every time when I want to make a move for me and say, okay, I'm not going to accept this, then it seems like, okay, um, you're overthinking it. You're overdoing it. You're being too difficult. You're mm -hmm. being too brash. And so, so those little, little, um, comments and, 
always made me want to second guess myself and I would always ask, okay, um, am I being too difficult now or am I being too hard or okay, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then it all, it, will, it will actually make me become very complacent and agree to things that ordinarily I resent. Mm -hmm. And at the point where I had to start separating and creating those boundaries for my family, I was fought for it. And there was a lot of pain from my own end because I realized how angry I had been over the years towards my parents. And I didn't even realize how angry I was towards my parents until a friend, our mutual friend, I was talking to her. Um, and then she was telling me that she just, she could sense a lot of anger and bitterness. And I remember I was talking to my husband and then he asked me, how do you really feel about your parents? And be honest. And I actually said, I hated them. And then he said, okay, that's fine then we have to deal with this because hate is not good for anybody. What you're doing is you're just carrying them on your shoulders and these people are going about living their lives. And so I've gone from hate to anger, to bitter, to resentment, not just towards my parents, but towards myself and towards every other thing and every other person that I thought hurts me, you know, and I was always so hard on myself, too, because I felt like I, I didn't stand up for myself enough. And I let everyone take a ride on me. And I would always want to fight very hard to ensure that people do not take me for granted anymore. And that would come up in being very insecure and, you know, yelling when there's nothing to yell about. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it kind of also has made me very compassionate when I see somebody who is just being mean you know nobody was born mean everybody has a story and there's a lot of stuff that people deal with that a lot of people don't don't even know how to talk about um so i had uh was, i had to have like a very honest conversation with my parents which i've always tried to have over the years and some you know so i did that you know some couple years ago and i did tell them that a lot of the actions that they did really really was mentally and emotionally abusive and um but they didn't understand that and that was okay but i think at some point my mom said she could see the pain that it's like they don't really know what they had done but they but she can see that i was in a lot of pain due to what they did and that whatever for what is what they're sorry and stuff like that and you know but i so i had to separate those um and I had to tell them that I would relate to them how I want to on my own terms. You will not call me anymore and you trick me into doing things for you when it's not convenient for me. And, um, yeah, and even in terms of my career and my business, when I had to meet people a lot of times, I would get agitated. I started having social anxiety because I wasn't always sure of the right words to say to people. And the trend also of abuse also affected the relationships I had. Because when you feel like you're not worth anything, you tend to go into relationships with very crazy people who tend to abuse you as, as well. So I was always abused. I mean, I had a, a, a boyfriend when I was younger who was very happy pimping me out to other people for money. And... <laughs> And I thought it was love. So, I mean, I would do anything for him. <laughs> for him. And, 
eventually he left me because I wasn't obviously bringing enough money to the table. And um, I think at some point I just got tired of the whole nonsense. And I think my journey to healing started from forgiveness with myself first Mm-mm. because I realized that through those actions, whether they were people who did stuff to me or how I also um, did stuff to people, I needed to start taking responsibility of my life. So I had to stop blaming people for hurting me and just take responsibility for my own happiness. Mm-hmm. So I had to stop, okay, my parents did this, my mom did this, oh, this is what my mom is doing this right now. Oh, look at what she's doing. She's doing this, blah, 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 blah. Oh, look at what they just did. Look at what they just said to me. Oh, this and that. And I, I had to stop, you know, accepting the negativity mm. and taking responsibility for my own happiness. And it also had to do with my own mental state because over the years I had developed a mental negative pattern where I tend to go over negative scenarios, where I tend to go over negative um, things, where I tend to go over negative conversations and try to prove to myself that um, if it were to happen again, I would be able to maybe fight them or, you know, stand up for myself and stuff like that. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not like that's wrong, but I began to obsess about these things. And I began to realize that it was all about just me trying to prove to myself that I was, I, I had, I was whole and I was worth something. So I had to step away and create boundaries even within myself mm. to be whole, you know, cleanse myself from the inside out and let go of all the experiences that I had gone through. I mean, some days are better than others. Some days I still wake up and I'm like, oh my God, look at what happened. And, um, I begin to get agitated and stuff and I begin to, then I begin to understand again that, okay, what is this experience trying to teach me? So mm. basically it was me getting familiar with the fears and the anxieties and trying to understand the lessons that these things were teaching me. I had to, it was at that point that, um, I began to also reevaluate the vision and the purpose for myself and the brand that I said I wanted to have. You know, mm-hmm. so it, it, it grew from being just a passion of clothes and fashion and stuff to actually using these things, fashion, beauty, wellness, um, to actually um, empower women and inspire women through stories. Because there's a story in every, for every person. And I think that was, that was like the breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, I think that's, that's one question that I wanted to ask you, because I think Obviously, I always am fascinating when I'm listening to you. Like, I just even just, I'm just listening because <laughs> you have the ability to articulate a lot of things that a lot of people that have been through a lot have not been able to articulate or even thought about, I think. But that's mm. my, that's the question that I had for you, actually. Mm. In the midst of all of this, because you mentioned, obviously, family issues and mm-hmm. cultural issues, yeah. which you, you mentioned obviously religious issues yeah so like relationship and and just mental health and personal issues Mm. just like internally Mm -hmm. what what was the single can you identify actually a single moment of clarity that sort of like 
wake up call, like that one moment. Do you remember one moment where you thought, look, this has to stop. All of it has to stop. Hmm. Or you have several. Yeah, I don't think it was one moment for me. It was like several experiences awakening me to certain things. And I think I didn't realize this thing, this experience is there was this um, little nudges I kept having over the years when I was younger, but I didn't realize it. I wasn't recognizing those nudges. And could you give us an example? Because I think it could be helpful for someone I that think, maybe. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I think I began to connect more with myself. And that was when I don't How did that happen? <sighs> I don't, I can't actually, there is no time or place. I said, okay, this happened, mm -hmm. you know, because there were several times over the years that I was like, I'm tired enough. And I still like relapse again. And I'm like, I'm tired enough. And then while I'm saying I'm tired enough, the next minute I'm going back into the whole, you know, it's just a crazy fiasco. So crying, depressed, you know, suicidal as well. And it was that it kept happening like that. And, um, ah. Uh, I think that um, it was, it was more, I think I began to, I, I started reading more because mm -hmm. I was, I became desperate. <laughs> I became, yes, I, yes, yes, yes. I think I became really desperate because yes, I think I do remember a moment. Yes, that was the moment. I had tried over the years to get help and not helping, get help by reading books. So all the books, you know, Louise Hay, um, mm -hmm. this Own Your Glow, all the name it. I've read it. I'm reading it. I've done all of all of them. Been there, done that, and still doing it because I mean, writing is something I connect with. It's something I do. Reading has always been something. Books is something that always had helped me a lot. So mm -hmm. I've done all the, you know, listening to speeches, um, you know, getting trying to get myself on up and all that. But there was a particular moment that I was like, it was either I got better or I just killed myself because mm -hmm. I was tired. Mm. I was completely tired. Like my husband was looking at me and I think that broke his heart because he was like, he didn't know how to help me. You know, you're looking at someone and you're like, I wish I could actually trade my life for you because I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I was very miserable. I was, I would walk on the streets. I would just sit down on like maybe a pavement and just start crying. Mm -mm -mm -mm. And it was just too much. My, the burden was way too much. And I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. I've tried everything I can. I've done everything possibly humanly possible to do. I've tried to speak up. I've tried to do everything I could. I was talking to my sister. Yes. And my sister said something that struck me. And she said, she said, look, that because she had also been like a support, a huge support system for me. Mm -hmm. And she's told me that at the end of the day, this is something I would have actually have to deal with on my own. That they're there with me, but I have to walk this walk. And then she said something else, and which was the main thing for me. She said that she's watched me fight, but she thinks that I'm not really addressing the root of the problem. And I probably don't even know what the root cause is, but until I'm able to sit with myself and face those things, like face, 
because I think I recently wrote um um I recently wrote something which I'm going to upload on Instagram about checking in with yourself. And I think that a lot of the time we are afraid of what we would find on the inside. Mm-hmm. We are afraid of facing those things squarely. And that's why we keep going in circles and keep allowing a lot of nonsense mm. because we're not ready to actually come to terms with what really needs to be done. We're too scared. We, we, don't, we feel like we cannot do it and we don't have the bandwidth to do it. So I think I remember that day rain was falling. I had just seen my, I was having, because a lot of all the issues that I'd, go, I'd been going through the whole, um, um, what's it called? Yeah, the whole mental issues. I had to see a doctor. Because at some point, it was beginning to look like I had bipolar because of how intense and how erratic I was behaving. Mm -hmm. And when I saw my doctor and he looked at me and said, he can tell that I do not have bipolar, but there is something going on with me. Like I couldn't even sit in one place. It was like I was on drugs. So I was just pacing up, up and down, going all over the place and talking fast and just, you know, acting like a crazy person, you know, twisting my hair and stuff. And he was like, okay. Um, then they talked and then they did the whole analy- anal- analyzing stuff and, you know, uh, test and stuff like that. And they said that what I did have, I was going through. Um, so they, after the questions and the analyzing, they said it was um, PTSD, general anxiety disorder and depression. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get help. So at first they suggested some group or all those are group meetings where you go to and talk about stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm not interested in some bunch of strangers listening to some bunch of strangers story and getting more depressed. You know, I mean, they say it could help, but I just, I needed something deeper. I needed to talk to someone and I got into therapy actually. And I think that was actually what started helping me honestly, because for me personally, I think, I think everybody has their different stories and I, I had done everything possibly I could do. But one thing that I had not really ever had in my entire life was having, was having like a safe place where I could actually be honest and vulnerable about how it is I felt from like really, really talk and feel seen and feel heard that you can understand what I'm saying. And not feeling judged or feeling like I'm crazy. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And what what's your what's what, where do you stand? Obviously, because you come from a family that had a very strong religious um, um, standpoint. At yeah, like, where they, they you know the um, mm. the way you were brought up. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Obviously, having broken from that and gone down the therapy route, because lots of people that have grown up in a strong religious environment and I'm not just necessarily talking about a Christian environment. Yeah. Could be, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Could be any other type of yeah. environment. Mm-hmm. In a lot of these um these cultures, yeah. Going to therapy is is abominable. Com- yeah, yeah, it's it's com- it's 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 completely condemnable. Like people yeah. basically condemn it. So how do you then because obviously you've inter I, I think to a certain extent, growing up in the in environment, you do internalize some yes. concepts. So yeah. how do you handle the sort of like battle between I need to do this to save myself versus I need to go 
and pray or whatever. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how do you battle that in, given that you have grown up in that strong environment yet obviously there's been a diagnosis and that requires treatment and the treatment is to speak to someone like a professional. Yeah. I think that for me, I did struggle with that for years, for years, for, for, for years, different people I met told me I needed to see someone, but because of my mindset and the, upbringing I had therapy was like I don't know was like a taboo it wasn't something you talk about you know you don't say I'm going to therapy you know and then a lot of people will talk about how you have to talk to God and pray and then everything is going to be okay and I did all of that I talked I prayed I did everything but I also do believe that I believe that God uses people to also help us. I do believe that, um, I don't believe that science or, you know, doctors and stuff like that are like options that are not okay um, based on religion or whatever. You know, I do believe that these people, God did give them the wisdom and to, to actually help people. He gave them the knowledge to actually do these things. Now, the thing is, I had, the choice was between two therapists. There was one who seemed okay, wonderful and stuff like that. And then there was this other person who I, I started talking with. And it was a decision of who do I actually choose? And I had to listen to my spirit to work with what I felt was more, who I felt con more connected with. And I made the choice and I'm very happy I made that choice. I don't know if I would have been happy making the choice to, to go in with the other therapist. But basically what I'm saying is that I think the first step is stepping away and breaking away from the whole, um, will I say cultural and religious stereotype that the dog certain things are abominable. Mm -hmm. I don't, I really don't believe, I don't go down that, um, meant, um, that mindset of everything. This is, good this is bad this is abominable this is this and this is that it's dogmatic it's just yes it is exactly i think if you need to because i was at that point where i couldn't help myself so yeah it was it was a point of desperation yes, so I, either you carried on doing something that you felt wasn't enough yes. or you tried something new <laughs> yes exactly and i just had to and i, I mean I, when i when i meet people or when people send me messages on my platform or in my email and they're talking about stuff like that the first thing i tell them is well this is my own opinion because it did work for me maybe talk to somebody because honestly yeah it's it's sometimes it's very refreshing to have to talk to maybe an, a thought party that has no connection with where you are coming from and then they can actually assess it from standing outside of where you are and then they get to see it and sometimes it's not even about somebody telling you oh this person is bad or that person is bad or no some it's just talking it's just objectivity isn't exactly it? it's, it's just, just talking you know yeah. for me it was like for the first time i was actually able to talk there were a lot of things that had been i had been having this inner monologue with myself saying it and there are some things that i would say to my sisters or my husband but somehow I realized that I wasn't actually saying everything that was going on in my head because sometimes to me, they were crazy, but yeah. I was able to actually speak out and talk to this woman who 
I didn't know, but she was a professional. And it actually did help my relationship better with my husband. It helped me to be able to know how to relate more with him, how to express myself more. And it helped our relationship as well. And it helped my it helped, it helped my relationship with other people. It helped me mentally as well because I needed help. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it's not for me. It's not, it's not, I think the whole, the whole don't do therapy based on the whole, it's just a religious dogma, mm-hmm. which um, I think the first step, it was something my sister also told me was step outside the whole religious dogma for me. Stepping away from the whole, the way I was brought up, I literally had to die to the girl and the doctrines that I knew. I, I had to, I had to find me for me and I had to find God for me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't about it for me. It was more of, um, um, getting to see things in a whole new different way in a clearer way and for Mm -hmm. me that was freedom i think the first step for me was breaking away from all the religious um named calling tags and dogmas i just literally had to separate myself and say okay this isn't working for me anymore um this is not it's not it just isn't working and i had to start pursuing a relationship with god on my own terms pursuing a relationship with god based on what it is i I craved for and mm. finding out who God really is. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about being a Christian or being a Muslim or whatever. It was just about me having a relationship with God. Yeah, with a high having, being. You know, mm. yes, having a relationship with myself. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, I realized that a lot of times, and for me, I actually I began I saw myself as two people. I wasn't connected. And that was also part of the things that was also cutting a lot of trauma with me and a lot of mental breakdowns. Why so, do you think you, why do you think you, you had these two, we, well, the way you said it, and I think you've said it a few times, it's mm. almost like you had split personalities because earlier yes. you were saying um, on the outside, I could see him as someone that was very vocal, yeah. but then on the inside, I was very um, intro, like timid. Yes. So, yeah. So, what what do you think caused that? Did you was it? Would you think it was a coping mechanism, or do you yes. think it's just you have several aspects to your personality? People are multidimensional, but it's just one part of it wasn't able to express. So it's maybe the vulnerable part wasn't expressing. Yeah. Or what do you think? I think it's more of the 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 impact of the traumas I had been through, and um. Yeah, I think it was more about the impact of the traumas I had been through. So my 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 I had mentally developed, like you said, a coping mechanism on a lot of things. So in my own way, for example, when I always find myself in the negative loop, it was more of my own way of trying to cope with um, confrontations. Because of how I grew up, I was always afraid of confronting people. So I was always a yes person mm. and never a no person. But when I go back, I would beat myself up for not being able to actually say what it is I really felt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, I mean, there's always, there's 
there's always like different sides to every person, you know, but I do feel for me that there was, I felt a disconnection. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel in sync with myself. I didn't feel in sync with my mind, body, soul, spirit. No, everything was just all over the place. I was just trying to find some meaning and some sense and make sense of mm-hmm. what it is that had been going on with me and how to deal with these things. Mm-mm-mm. And yeah, so it, it was, and I think, I mean, sometimes I still, sometimes there's that moment, there's those moments where I feel, okay, everything is just disconnected. And what I do is I have to stick, I have to take a step back and reassess everything. Like I step out of the situation and I, I ask myself, what is this experience trying to teach me? What am I trying to understand? Because, and that is, it, it was a very difficult thing for me. The, I think the most difficult thing for me, or maybe on some people is actually um, having to see that there is a pattern that has been occurring and this is probably what you need to do to get out of that rot and um, negativity. So yeah, I did I did think that there was just a lot of, um, I was all over the place and I was also all over the place because I was always trying to be a different person to different people. So to my parents, I was somebody else. To my friends, I was somebody else. To my boyfriends, I was somebody else. To the world, I was somebody else. And that was the story for a very long time. So trying to now get all of those um, aspects of myself and you know, throw away the part that didn't work for me and stay true to who I was, was a battle. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um... I wanted to ask you a question because you also obviously mentioned your husband quite often and you've mentioned another relationship. Now, how do you feel obviously your, um, your experience, whether it's your family experience and obviously, or the the other experiences that, Mm -hmm. um, that shaped who you are now, how do you think that has affected the way you approach relationships. Uh, and I, when I say relationship, I mean love. and. Mm. Okay, I'm not going to lie. It's very hard, honestly. Um, at a point, I actually, I told, because I think one of the things that has helped my relationship with my husband is being very honest and real. Like, and I think that the man I got married to, I remember we was talking with my therapist and, and in this session, she said that she thinks that that is actually the first real and real love I've actually really experienced. And I'm not talking, I mean, everybody experiences, I mean, my parents would say that it was out of love and I get that. But when we're talking about unconditional love where, you know, you don't feel like you have to pay back you know, you don't feel like, okay, because this person did this to me, then I have to do this. You know, because growing up, it was almost, it was always like a trade by battle thing. Oh, I did this for you, then you have to do this for me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I know that I struggled a lot in my relationship. And my husband was very, he's very patient. There are times I would actually say, you know what, today, I don't even know what, at a point in my life, in a relationship, I actually had no idea what love meant because I, I, I didn't even understand. I was like, here is what different people have said love is. 
And I know that somehow I do love you, but I don't even know how to express that love. I don't know what ways this love can be expressed. And at some point, I started becoming like a very negative and toxic person for him as well. But somehow I saw how he was always, you know, taking it all in. And at some point he would tell me that this is getting very negative for me. You're being very negative. You're being very toxic, you know, and then I'll have to sit back. And sometimes I would actually go into victim mode because I'll think he doesn't understand me and nobody understands me. Um, so yes, I struggled and it's actually up until recent. It was recently that I, I began to, we've actually began to really enjoy our relationship because I began to see that this man is not out to get me. Mm-hmm. He's not out to use me. He's not out to hurt me intentionally, but it wasn't always easy because every time I had my, I had my, you know, imaginary gun ready to shoot <laughs> for anything. So even if he breathes, I'm like, Oh, why are you breathing? You want to attack me? Oh my God. And then I get so defensive, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Oh, why did you take that step? Oh, why did you ask me to do this? Oh no, I'm not your slave. I'm not going to do it. Da, da, da. And everything everything was like a battle for me. Everything was a moment to get angry. Everything was a moment to fight. So I was always looking forward to fight. I was always anticipating arguments. I was always anticipating separations and even divorces, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even when we got together and we started talking about the whole getting married and stuff. And I know I did tell him that I tend to get afraid a lot you know, and I tend to expect the worst. So maybe, you know, I won't be surprised if we got divorced and it's all good. And he was just looking at me like, we haven't even gotten married and you're already talking about getting divorced. Mm. <laughs> and, but, but I'm like, yeah, people always leave me. So it's all good. You know, things happen, shit happens. And, Mm-mm-mm. and I think he said that in that moment, he was just looking at me and he felt very sorry for me because he, he saw a woman who had been hurt so many times that she didn't even understand. She couldn't even recognize love when she saw it. And she didn't even know what love meant. And that was it for me. I just didn't know. And it was also because I didn't also even know how to even show myself some love. So it was all about fighting, fighting, fighting. And it was because over the years I had developed this mechanism. So I had gone, I had been in survival mode for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And saying okay it's okay for me to breathe it's okay for me to relax i don't need to fight anymore you you just like it just didn't make sense to me so what do you think came first do you think you started loving yourself and then were able to yeah him and understand how he loved him or did you did you need someone to show you love so that you actually understand that you deserve love because loads of women that have had traumatic experiences mm-hmm. try to try to find their salvation in someone else's yeah. love. Like they'll look for love everywhere. And a lot of the time yeah. um, they find love in the wrong places and that yeah. obviously can have, and I don't want to say wrong places cause it's, it's a job, yeah. but they don't necessarily find what they're looking for. Yeah. Or so, so sometimes people find trying to find their salvation in the other, but some people, lots of people say that you have to love yourself before. But then mm. again, if you don't know how to love yourself because you've never been showed, because the way you love yourself, your self-esteem is often built on the sort of um, what you've been fed, you know, the affection mm-hmm. that you've been fed and the love that you've been fed. 
growing up and with your experiences growing up. So if in some way, shape or form, this, what you have been fed hasn't necessarily built your self-esteem. And I say you, it's not you, but it's just a mm-hmm. general sense. How mm-hmm. do you then break away from that and start loving yourself because you don't even know how, because you haven't been shown how. So my, my question to you, sorry, it was a long question is, yeah, do fine. you think it was something that happened simultaneously because you found someone that loves you how you are? And mm. then that made you think, oh, so is that it? So maybe I should start maybe loving myself because it kind of feels good. Or, uh, <laughs> or <laughs> is it a case that you basically started that self-love process and then obviously you then attracted something that looked like what you wanted to be loved as. Mm. Okay, I think that, I mean, before I started the process of self-love and all that, um, he was already in the picture and he was just loving me. And But I didn't recognize that. And truthfully, there are times we've had our own pressure of misunderstandings and there were times that... Um, I felt like I wasn't being seen and I was very afraid that um, there were times I've actually had to stand up for myself and it had to come from a place of self-love. Mm. And I think that is where the journey starts Mm-mm. because no matter how much a person would love you, mm-hmm. a person can love you and shower, shower, shower you with all the love in the world. But if you feel like you are a piece of shit, you will not value that love. Mm. You won't. And for me, that was it. And these people are not perfect. The person who is showering, showering you with love still has their own pitfalls. They have their own flaws. Yeah. And for me, it was more of, I was always expecting him to live up to my expectations as well. And when I saw certain things that was like, oh my God, no, this, you know, and I'm ready to like pack out and just, you know, like, uh-uh, no, I'm afraid, you know, because of my own, um, maybe I, I begin to get triggered from other experiences. I had to also, I think it's all about also, I had to start seeing him as somebody who was also on his own journey. Mm-hmm. and who loved me genuinely in spite of whatever you know flaws he has because nobody is perfect so what i'm saying basically is i remember there was a day i sat in my room and i was thinking and saying to myself how why do i feel so miserable and i felt this voice tell me start with love but then the other question was but i don't know how to i don't know how to love i don't know what to love i don't know what to love about me or anybody so i don't even know how to go on that self-love journey of loving myself for everything and i think Loving ourselves is the most difficult task ever because there is a lot of things about ourselves that we resent and we do not like or we do not want to admit to ourselves that are there because we don't feel that it is good. We don't feel that it is nice. We don't we feel like it's it's dirty, it's stinky mm-hmm. and it's 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 not it's not what we want. But being able to love those little rotten things about ourselves and say, look, this thing is rotten, but I love it and grow and evolve i think that opens a whole new door into being into growing and evolving and for me i had to start accepting myself i had to start seeing that i was not a crazy person i was i was an amazing person i had to start taking note of the wonderful qualities in myself and this was actually a task my husband told me to do there was a day i was we were talking about this 
and he said, okay, write one good thing about yourself that you like. And I'm telling you, for one week, I couldn't find one thing to write. I kept thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and overthinking. And I was like, why is it that I can't even find one good thing about myself to write? Like, I couldn't even pinpoint anything good. Mm. That's and, a powerful exercise, isn't it? Yeah, but I, then I realized that that was actually a problem. I needed to actually start reassessing how I saw myself. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't reassess that, I would never be able to see the love that you know, my husband was showing me. So it had to start with self-love because the, in that p- point, you're a very delicate person. So it's very easy for you to say, okay, this person loves me and rely on the love of this person when you do not even love yourself. And then what actually happens, I think, is that you're moving from one abusive and toxic relationship to another unknown to you because this person has become your alpha and omega now. Whatever the person says, the person calls the shirts and you rely on that person for your growth. You rely on that person for your independence. You rely on that person to make decisions for you and stuff like that. You become cold. You become like self, what's it called? You become very dependent on that person for your very existence. Mm-hmm. And so that there has to be that thin line between. So that's why getting to know yourself and loving yourself first is very important. Yeah. Because when you begin to understand, okay, this is me. This is who I love. This person who is showing you love, remember, like I said, is not perfect. So when they begin to maybe manifest things that do not work with you, showing yourself love makes you be authentic to what works for you. And you're able to say, no, babe, this doesn't work for me. I'm not happy about this. Or I will work with this. This is who I am. You need to accept that or you don't. And I don't know, for a lot of times, it actually has made my husband also come up, like step up and say, okay, I respect who she is and I respect her creativity. You know, but if I was so, you know, reliant on, okay, because he loves me and then I have to do everything he's doing or I'd have to do everything that he wants me to do, then I don't have my independence again. So for me, it was more about fighting for my independence and fighting for, like, fighting for me. And it came from loving every aspect of myself, which I still do struggle with, but I know that I'm way better than who I was before, like, way, way better. Do you have any regrets? with uh with what exactly anything regret mm. honestly at the moment i don't think i do that's good <laughs> i don't think i do because um i used to regret a lot of stuff but that was just another self-harm you know and what's uh, your it, biggest dream then in that case my biggest dream hmm <sighs> I want to, I want to help women, mm. you know, I am genuinely, I've always been that person. I, I've, when I watch movies and I see how, you know, I watch like women empowerment movies and I see how other women are like making history and helping people and, you know, doing things that everybody else is scared to do. It moves me and I, I get very teary because these are things that I want to do. Mm. I want to use my story and I want to also encourage other people to use their stories to to empower people. And it's why my brand is what it is. Because I realize that a lot of people are afraid to admit things about themselves. You know, they, are, they hold back a lot. And a lot of people are in a lot of pain. And 
I want to help people to, I want to help people to, I want to empower, I want to, I want to be that, you know, person that people can look at and say, this person is doing this, you know, and I want, I think I want to inspire every woman to be leaders, to excel, Mm -hmm. to reach to their, to their highest potentials. And this goes for every woman, both the ones in prison and the ones out of prison and the ones who are struggling and the ones who are succeeding, you know. Why, why did you call your company Violet Simon? Uh, yeah, that one. My grandmother was a tailor. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, she always wanted me to learn how to, you know, make clothes with her sewing machine. So she would make this... She would use this brown cardboard papers to make doll um, dresses for my dolls. And at the time when I started um, my company, so about almost ten years ago, I I um I was looking for meaning, and I didn't. I wasn't connecting with my parents then because they didn't support my vision. You know, they, they don't support it. They try to now. You know, and for me, she was the one person who kind of helped me to get through that phase and find my voice in fashion mm-hmm. somehow. She made she was one who actually made me realize that media and fashion were things that I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had a they say I had a loud mouth when I was a kid. I still do sometimes like like I said, I don't know how to not, you know, I, I just say it the way it is. So I would always tell my grandma, like when she's not being when she's not behaving right. <laughs> <laughs> or when she's not eating right, you know, I tell mommy, grandma, you're eating like a goat. And she'll be like, oh, okay, so how should I eat? I'm like, close your mouth and eat. And she'll be like, okay, thank you, darling. And <laughs> she always encouraged me to just be myself. I didn't have to not talk, you know, it was like, it was actually a beautiful thing that I was very outspoken. So that actually influenced um, me and I use her name. You know, so when I even when I actually decided to change my name because I decided I was gonna change my name from Ufi, you know, I mean people who call me Ufi would still call me Ufi, but I decided to change my name. It's something I'd always wanted to do, but my parents always like tried to stop that. So I decided that my middle name was going to be Violet as well. Mm. And my first name being Sophia, which has always been my name. <laughs> um, <laughs> um and then Simon is actually my dad's name. And I think at some point I wanted to change it from Simon to something else because I was hurt, you know, but truthfully, my dad kind of influenced me in media. Um, they may not have encouraged me, but um, every time I would take a newspaper to read or I would sit people down and want to interview them as small as I was. Um, I was always going to be laughed at and my dad would always tell me, oh, you're going to be an opera someday. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so um, I think that kind of made me say, okay, I was going to use his name as the second name, Simon. And yeah, I was always going to change it to something else. But at the at the time I wanted to remove the Simon name, the name had already gotten stuck with everybody, Violet Simon. So I just kept it like that and said, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> that's it i'll just leave it that way but yeah mm-hmm. this is a, that's the reason i've used those two names for the brand that's interesting so what what what's what do you think you well actually that's not the right way of saying it what thing do you wish you knew 
um, say a year ago. How wonderful I am. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not all bad. You know. Um, that I deserve love. And um, that nobody has the power to control me mm. or make me do what I do not want to do. I have choices and um, staying true to what it is that I believe in, staying true to what it is that I want to do or what I don't want to do, irrespective of whatever anybody thinks. You know, I think I learned that in a very hard way as well, you know. Um, I would always budge when somebody says, oh, no, that sounds crazy, or that is very rude, or that is very this, and that is very that. And a lot of times, that ends up being what I should have done. You know, so, yeah. Um, learning to just stand in my truth, embrace my story, and know that I'm actually, I'm just great the way I am, mm. and opening doors to keep evolving, you know, one day at a time. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. My husband, actually. He said, with freedom comes responsibility, and with responsibility comes power. Mm. And I think it's, it's a very deep one, because we all talk about being free. We all talk about you know, freedom, being free to do stuff, being free to be ourselves and stuff like that. And um, there is always backlashes, good or bad, about, you know, ourselves, you know. Um, you want to do something and then people, people, people maybe criticize you for it. So for me, it's more about in my freedom to be myself, in my freedom to live life in my freedom to do stuff and make decisions i also take responsibility of the choices and consequences that that comes with i also take responsibility of my life and of my happiness mm -hmm. and with that with taking responsibility of those things that makes me powerful actually mm. in my own merits so i don't know it's just whenever i feel down i remember those three things and it helps me a lot Nice, nice one. Um, what's the best piece of advice you think you can give to someone based obviously on your story, your experiences and your goals and your career? Uh, stay true to yourself. Like, be fearlessly and passionately authentic. And authenticity is a lonely but very rewarding journey. Um, you cannot... You can't give what you don't have and you cannot, you can't um, even, and this goes for business as well, like from business to personal life to everything, stay true to your vision, stay true to who you are, embrace your truth and stop fighting yourself or fighting the things that you are most afraid about, afraid of rather. Embrace your fears and listen more to what those experiences are telling you. And I think for me, like I said earlier, the most important thing is being very authentic. It's like what Maya Angelou said. I've quoted it before and it has really helped. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not really sure how she's put it. I'm, I can't really remember exactly how she put it. But she said, um, um, 
I belong nowhere but everywhere. The reward is um the no the it is painful something about it the journey is lonely and painful but the reward is bountiful. Mm. And that is something I live by and that is something I I always advise people to you know you don't belong to people and you do not belong to things you belong to you you belong to yourself and you owe it to yourself to stay true to your truth mm. and every other person from husband to boyfriend to family or the world would eventually get on board or get out of the boat so even in business like the things i'm doing i'm working on my magazine mm-hmm. and there the, the way i'm going about it the, the, the it's not something that a lot of people do so it's like oh are you sure this is going to be successful you know because everybody's crazy about you know um um beauty standards and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. nobody wants to share the stories i'm sharing or go about the things i'm going about the way i'm going about it and he has felt very lonely i have had to you know cut people away that do not understand the vision especially if you want to be on my team but one thing i have understood more than ever before is that i have to embrace being authentic and if this is what is authentic to me right now to the company and to myself then i would embrace it and not be afraid of making mistakes because for me mistakes are just lessons so i don't believe in mistakes i do believe that everything we work to and everything that happens to us is a lesson for us to learn so stay true to yourself be authentic and never be afraid of mistakes because we're all learning and life is too short to live life enjoy life and do the things that you want to do mm. that's very good so what's the one thing you can't go without <sighs> like going out or like anything like I know that from for me the one thing that I definitely can't go without is a good notebook. I mm, yeah, me. A very good notebook. Yeah. A good quality paper. I need a good pen that yeah. slides down the pages so that it's sort of like oil. Yeah, that almost like me. you're writing with oil, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I actually do prefer notebooks to like laptops and computers and stuff. So yeah, I actually do have I have loads of notebooks beside like by my side every time. So yeah, I can I love a nice pen, a nice notebook, and my iPad to watch movies. Mm, nice. <laughs> I love movies a lot. Like they help me a lot, they inspire me a lot, and they give me a lot of ideas. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. I think it was really nice speaking to you. I think I want the one thing that I want to I think it's probably one of the last questions I ask you, but um wanted to find out what would you want people to say about you if you're not in the room me mm. hmm well that's a tough one considering that i'm not really faced about what people will see yeah me. but that's it okay I, I ask people <laughs> the question but if people ask me the question i know that i would just say well i don't give a fuck yeah like i don't know you want. if i tell you i want them to say this then i'm going to be lying because i don't really care <laughs> i don't really give a shit like say whatever you want to say if it's good wonderful if it's bad okay like it's not going to 
stop me from existing. So, um, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Do you, do you um, have a question for me? Huh. I ask everyone the question. If you don't, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, what inspired We Are Phenomenal? Because you're doing a very phenomenal job. Uh, what inspired? Uh, it's people like you, I guess. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the idea initially was to just highlight things that I have on a daily basis. I've got people around me that are doing great things in different arenas i mean mm. the people that i've interviewed so far are so different and mm. but they're doing great things and i think i don't know whether it's my ecosystem it just feels like whatever i see whatever i read uh mm. wherever i go on social media or when you go in newspapers and things like mm. that the things that are valued aren't necessarily the things that are the most positive from my perspective you'll hear the breakout story of that one person that had like yeah. very difficult life or like barriers and that might yeah. break through them but i feel like on a daily basis there are great people yeah. that are not you know praised as they should and are doing great mm-hmm. things. like you know yeah. one of my friends a nurse and she basically looks after people after they had surgery and she's mm. you know there to talk to them she talks to like the elderly people that basically brought up a family and their children never come and see them so they're very lonely she speaks to moms that are having their child on their own and they're afraid because they have to go home you know with their child on mm. their own and they don't have a clue what they have to do and mm. i've got for a friend that is um a th- She's not a therapist. She's a Ayurvedic doctor. She, you know, practices okay. Ayurveda, and she, she, she speaks to people and heals people from things that they had all their lives and that really affected their self-esteem. So there's loads of people wow. around me that are doing great things and impacting people one by one, including you. And I just felt like, yeah, there's loads of great podcasts, but there's none that had the voice that I wanted to hear, the voices that I wanted to hear. So that's why I, I decided that I just do it. I'll just say um, a phenomenal job. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> what like, is your definition of phenomenal? If you had to define the word phenomenal, what would you describe would you describe it as? Powerful, beautiful, excellent, uh, a go-getter. And uh, I don't know. I have the words modeled up in my head, but I don't think... But, yeah, they're that. great. Powerful, beautiful, go-getter. <laughs> That's all it is. It's all it is. <laughs> Bravo, um, thank you so, so much for sharing your story and, you know, having the conversation, having such an honest uh, conversation, such an honest approach to everything. I think every time I speak to you, I mean, I think we could speak for hours, but every time I speak <laughs> to you, I feel like we, you know, this layers and layers and layers of things that I think could be useful to a lot of people. I think these stories are the stories that are often kept inside the hearts of especially women. And I know that obviously their voices are starting to liberate and we're hearing more and more of these stories. But I think from your perspective, with your cultural background, with, you know, your experiences Mm. and how you've managed to overcome it. It's extremely inspiring. And I really am grateful that you were able to jump on this podcast and share uh, all that you shared with 
me and all the listeners today. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. And then I'll just say to you that, that are listening to don't not forget to subscribe again. And if you've got any questions, don't forget to that we are on social media, so you can tweet at us. You can email us at wearephenomena at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram. Thank you so much, Ufi. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.